0: I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode.
1: In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Aubition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organisations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organisation's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting www.aubitiongroup.com.
0: Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season three. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by CJ Anderson. So CJ, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Now I'm looking forward to this. Um, So anyone that doesn't know cj just go on linkedin and have a play around with the term data governance and legal and um you'll you'll find her um but um before i do her any further injustice where we always start cj is by uh, asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and and journey to date and uh, i love your story so this is a it's a fascinating one so i'm looking forward to it uh,
2: thanks for that no no pressure on the storytelling <laughs>
1: um
2: so, uh, uh, as you said, I'm CJ Anderson. My background is uh, I'm a librarian uh, by qualification. Uh, nearly 30 years ago now, I qualified as a librarian, uh, but went straight into corporate, uh, more data work, information management type activities, and have broadly been doing data governance in one shape or another, even if it wasn't called data governance for, for most of that time. Uh, and I ended up in a law firm probably 20 years ago, and everything I did was data governance to an extent uh and then after 17 years of, of bouncing around the same law firm um I, we kind of I, I spun out on my own i guess so we set up iron Carrot and uh started having the conversations with law firms who had only i guess recently come to the party about formal data governance being a supportive part of their organization so um we've been doing iron carrot now for the last five years
0: nice okay and you're also uh, host your own podcast right?
2: I do yes the uh, Law Firm Data Governance podcast so it's a bite-sized uh, so Law Firm audiences it's more of a bite-sized less than 10 minute episode um, explainers of a lot of the terms the concepts and the, the how-tos and the what's around data governance but with that Law Firm lens specifically on it.
0: Nice. Interesting. Very good. Um, So give us a brief kind of overview then in terms of Iron Carrot. Obviously, I know it's data governance, consultancy services into the legal sector, but just kind of talk us through the the, the kind of typical day in the life of
2: so, day in the life of a difficult one because there's not really a typical day in anything, really, is there? I think we're not a technology company, first and foremost. We're not data analysts. Uh, we don't do data science. We are uh, people, process, um, change management oriented. Um, so, we look at um, helping firms uh, have better conversations around data governance and put the structures in place. So, the ownerships, the accountabilities, the responsibilities, the the fora for the talking, the decision-making organizations, and then help guide them through that change. And we do that either as um, doing it with them, uh, doing it for them, or giving them a template to to let them do it themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good, interesting. So I guess um, the data governance space, I guess, more broadly across the the kind of data analytics industry and and sector has kind of had somewhat of a resurgence over the last 12 to 18 months. And I think um, I'm probably um, forgiven for saying that's largely because, you know, many businesses jumped feet first into the the shiny, sexy stuff, you know, AI, ML, all that type of stuff, and uh, quickly realized the, their unraveling as to why they weren't getting as much value out of the other side of those type of initiatives was because, you know, they'd not built the foundations in a way that they could get the most out of that right so um a really interesting space but just kind of give us a bit of insight into the the general goings-on with regards to data more broadly at this point in time in a sector like the legal sector which you know from a data maturity standpoint is probably you know playing catch-up with regards to some other sectors right
2: Right. It's, it's, it's probably a few years behind. And I think the, the biggest drivers for law firms kind of are, are one of two or three things, I guess. One is their clients are a lot more mature in this space, particularly for the big firms who are looking at the, you know, the banks, the, the pharma companies, the insurance companies, the big corporates who have much more data governance capability, are doing much more in the AI type spaces. And the law firms are feeling the pressure from those clients to catch up and to deliver more and do more with their data secondly it's just that realization that they started in the middle so they jump feet first into some kind of machine learning program some kind of ai data science but they didn't have the quality data to feed that sausage machine of, of getting good quality outputs and the third thing really is that lawyers themselves are becoming much more aware of what data can do because and the there's a a change in how lawyers are behaving there's a move to legal tech there's a move to automation so that the lawyers are really doing the, the kind of value-add intellectual stuff that machines can't do so lawyers are becoming much more aware of even contracts as data um and so there, there's that you know, the right time it's all kind of coming together where data is getting that attention uh, within that sector
0: mm. Yeah. Interesting. So I guess, how, how do you then, when you go into an organization, you're you you're talking with these law firms around, you know, putting best practice around data governance and what that means for them, what they get out the other side of of, of that. Do you kind of use their clients or, you know, more forward thinking, more mature, data mature organizations as that kind of um, stick to dangle in terms of, you know, what, what they get out of the other side of that?
2: we do to an extent and and it it is that it's the meeting the client expectations because, you know, law firms are there to, to, to make money. That is, you know, let's make no bones about it. They're there to serve their clients and they, and the drive to do that is is to make money. So it's a way of saying you can do that. You can deliver on what your client's expectations are. If you have better data and you, you manage your data better. And we talk about managing it as an asset. So the, the conversation usually starts around, you know, you've got all this big wrapper around your people, you've got all this big wrapper around your premises, you've got all this big wrapper around your money, and this big wrapper around your clients, where's the wrapper around your data? Because that's one of your biggest assets, because that's the beast that's feeding all these other machines. Mm-hmm. And so we, we try and position it alongside, you know, the HR function or the the finance function as a capability because law firms also have that kind of the kind of trouser leg of decision-making which is a a bit of a weird analogy but kind of works so you've got the kind of executive body at the top and then you very clearly have a a management structure for the legal teams and the the client-facing teams and then a management structure that's almost divorced from that down the the kind of what we call business services the functional operational sides but the data interdependencies between the two Are getting more and more so you know go back 10 years they were completely you know operated in silos managed in silos part of data governance is helping support the breaking down of those silos across the legal side and the the business services side
0: Hmm. yeah so obviously the, the core challenge there you're talking kind of the structure a bit a bit of structural stuff a bit of kind of working and operating in 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 silos i guess Talk us through then some of the, the kind of advice that you give in terms of how you bring those two things together to ensure that teams are working together and that business units are operating independently. And how does governance weave through that to kind of, you know, um, stop that from from happening?
2: So governance for us is is it's conversations There are usually already the people in a firm that are doing the job that are performing the role of data owner or data steward or, you know, data analyst, whatever that might be on on both sides of the the trouser leg to stretch the analogy a little bit too far, but they're, they're kind of, they're already there. They're just not necessarily aware of each other. So it's about helping find and give them fora and space to have those conversations. And it means almost taking away the seniority. So conversations tend to happen at a very senior level. Partners own the firm. They have the conversations. They're in charge, which means they necessarily talk to the directors on the business services side. Actually, you want the conversations to be happening at a much lower level. You, you want you know even the most junior of people within both sides to be having the conversations because they understand where the pain points are because they're all getting the work delegated to them. Uh, and they have to, to deal with it. So a request from a partner isn't actually a request from a partner. It's probably some junior associate who's trying to do something on the legal side. And then it comes cascading down the other side to uh, some poor analyst or um, some data steward in the business services side. And it is just about opening up the lines of communication to help everybody at the right level and empowering people at the right level to have those good data conversations. And then from that, your data governance capability grows.
0: Hmm. Interesting. All right. And I know I've heard I've heard you previously um, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but basically say that, like, you know, look, you don't need a data governance policy. That's not what this is about. That's not what I'm here for, et cetera. Just give us some context and, and, and meaning to that statement, if you would.
2: So, uh, you know, a lot of the advice out there is is start with a policy. And I think that's in industries that are, are less um focused on law and regulation than law firms are, I guess, um, within law firms, you know, unless there's a real regulatory or legal obligation to have a policy, they just don't engage. And the other thing about lawyers is that they, they all have opinions, um, <laughs> quite rightly so, in some cases, but they will all want to weigh in. So if you are looking at a law firm that has 400 partners that is 400 business owners that want to have an opinion on that policy so these things take years i mean genuinely years to to even get to a draft that they're prepared to talk about never mind getting signed off and implemented so our approach is always to go forget what you're hearing you don't need a policy because they've already got information security policies and they've already got data privacy policies they've got those things in place we just say We're just going to have some conversations and we're just going to put in some rules, some guidance around how to have those conversations. And then out of those conversations will probably come some best practices and maybe some standards and then we'll help you implement those. But it's not about more policies. It's not about going top down. It's very much bottom up. Let's look at the junior people. What do they need to do better with data?
0: Mm. Go on, sorry.
2: No, I was gonna say it's just kind of in it it lands a lot better because it takes the pressure off because a policy feels very legal, very formal, very something we have to do something about, something that everybody has to buy into and it becomes this massive change piece and organizational, you know, turn us up, turn us upside down to do something. was actually you to go, I'm not gonna do that. We're not gonna worry about that conversation. We're just gonna have some chats and we're just gonna write some stuff down and we're just gonna share how we do stuff better it suddenly becomes something that feels achievable and something that senior stakeholders and law firms at least are prepared to buy into. And it's almost heretical to say it out in the data governance community, I don't do data, you know, policy because everyone says start with policy. But it doesn't mean that we don't do the, when we still look at roles, we still look, look at accountabilities, responsibilities. We just don't call it a policy. We call it guidelines or best practice.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, while we're on the subject of of language then because yeah. I know uh, you've spoken about this bit before, kind of in in I mean and, and honestly, I this is something that um it's so interesting to me because I think the data analytics community more generally they kind of, we get into these big debates and arguments all the time around like the semantics of the meaning of a word, you know? So I've had people say to me, oh, we shouldn't call it data-driven because it implies X, Y, and Z. And I'm kind of like, oh God, here we we go again, right? But (laughs) in certain instances and in certain kind of um, context, the language is important, right? So just talk to us kind of how you you frame that because I can completely empathize with you as to, you know, the data governance community, especially, Is very big on things like having these frameworks and policies in place because it's like almost the the rule book by which you have to live. Right. So I imagine that that your advice kind of ruffles a a few feathers, maybe.
2: I I can imagine. I think the the thing about, again, language and working in law firms is you are working with a, a population of highly trained, highly educated, highly qualified people whose day job is to pull words apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's literally what lawyers do for a living they pull words apart to, to mitigate risks effectively which is the other side of data governance but they are trained in pulling words apart so you have to use a language that makes sense to them so certainly something like data owners you could never use data owners with a law firm you might get away with it in a more progressive firm but broadly they hear owner they hear partner and then they go a oh, partner's too busy to do this data stuff that's not going to happen here so it's about matching the language of either the you know the, the guidelines or the standards or the roles to the language of the firm so it could be data manager it could be data governor it could be you know metadata engineer i've heard for data steward it could you know there's <laughs> there's all kinds of of uh, language that you use the important thing is just to find the one that works for that firm and that's why you will look at you know even the jobs market across the whole of a law firm you will never see the same job title twice even in firms that do very similar things and a very similar client bases. It's it's such an internalized language. So you've got to kind of find, and that's trial and error, you know, you kind of, and that's why we try and talk about accountabilities and responsibilities and, and set out a role as it's accountable for this, or it's responsible for that. And then you, from the, the kind of conversations around execution and how that might land in the, in the firm, people will start suggesting, oh, we could call it that, or it sounds like a job like this that we already have, and you start to pick up on their their own lexicon.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, obviously, more, more generally speaking across the data industry as a whole, you know, we often get into these conversations around, you know, um, most projects aren't adding the value that they are expected to add and that then kind of you know weaves its way back around to things like adoption and then we start talking about culture and change and maybe literacy around this piece and 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 things like that um is is that pretty much the same in the legal sector
2: yeah it is it's it's a it's a cultural change it's a behavioral change it's an organizational change and it's about um it's that gut feeling that people have that the data is going to tell them something that's inherently different to what they already know. So they're not going to lean on it and, and helping to change that mindset or un- unpicking that mindset is a big part of data governance. It's about finding out why they don't trust the data. And a lot of times with basic things like um, when they're asked to open a piece of work in their new business system, there's too many options in the dropdown. So they just pick the first one. So they know that the data is not good. And it's not going to come out on the reports, right? So they just don't bother looking at the reports. And that's why they need a data scientist to magically fix all this data for them. <laughs> Which hmm. is, you know, he then have to explain, no, that's not them. That's that's, you know, this other process. But it's that kind of thing. It's the the inherent biases that people hold. And, and data governance is really about helping change the perception of data and then change their behavior around data. And we talk a lot in our training about the data sausage machine. About it being every lawyer's responsibility to, you know, the quality of what they put in is going to impact the quality of what they get out. So if they want a good sausage, they've got to put good quality meat or or mushrooms, whatever they prefer, into that sausage machine. Um, yeah. And that's a story that's kind of landing and resonating. It's starting to to change that perception of data governance and data as something that's done by business services for lawyers, as something that's everybody's responsibility, everybody has a a part to play. Um and also, you know, helping the data scientists, because there are a few firms that have, you know, as you say, left feet first into that data science pot, getting from them where is the data pain points, because they know they see it and tackling that first. And then when you start to see that success from, well, actually we're getting more value from our data science team because we've got that data quality, actually there might be something to this, you know. What you put in is uh, an impact for for what you put get out, and then that starts a data conversation, and it snowballs because you can't. I mean, you can't go, "Hey, here's an entire firm. Let's have data governance." You've got to pick off those little pain point things, start with a few stakeholders, and get it going like a snowball, till mm. everybody wants to do it and are actively asking for it, which yeah. uh, is the, is the best place to be.
0: Yeah, creeping into the realms of kind of you know, obtaining buy-in here, right? And I know the whole yeah. premise of this episode is is kind of the bottom up approach to data governance, which um which is really interesting. At what point then do you start to tackle the top of the tree? You know, going to the partners or the exec board in these in these big law firms to kind of, you know, get them to put their hand in the pocket to uh, you know, expedite this data governance journey.
2: So it's the point comes where you really need it to. There's a point where, you know, drawing the juniors together will will take only so much and, and the issues that they're able to solve together will only go so far. There comes a point where you hit something fundamental or substantial and it's normally we're missing a team or we're missing a piece of technology or wouldn't it be great if. And that's where you have to go back to the top. But again, it's about having Helping them with a the data strategy, because part of what we do in, in our data, I and mean, they call it data governance, but it is, in effect, a data strategy. We call it the data roadmap, is tying the data they want to use, either in their, you know, their legal tech or their, their new shiny uh, data science capability that doesn't have any good data to do anything with. Um, it, and their, their aspirational, you know, business plan, tying that together and then going, right, if you want good data here here's what you have to do. And the story we talk about is is Lego, right? So when you were a kid, you had Lego and you had a big box of Lego and it was all kinds of colours and all kinds of shapes. You couldn't just dump that on the floor, snap your fingers and go, you're a house now, right? You had, you know, you you can't, I mean, you must in your imagination as a kid, you might have, but broadly, you couldn't look at it and go, it's a house. What you have to do is, is build the foundations for it. You've got to find the green mat to build your you know everyone knows green mats they build their, their houses on yeah. right so you've yeah, got to yeah. find the green mat and that's data governance it's the green mat that you build everything else on and only when you've then sorted all your blocks to decide what house you want to build when you've got the roof on that's your data science piece because that's what's built on top of your house on top of your foundation and when you start to break it down into the component parts like that it's a journey this enables this enables this if you want to do dashboards for your clients you're going to need better quality data which means we need to change an input form a process whatever that looks like that's the conversation you then have with the senior partners the exec and that's what starts to resonate because you're tying that whole journey together but you can only find those stories by working in that bottom that operational layer to really identify the pain points that are going to tie in directly to the firm's strategy Otherwise, the firm strategy is just bobbing about above you like a balloon. It's got to be kind of brought together and made real because if it's not real, they don't buy in.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one, I mean, we've done we're starting to do quite a lot of work in the legal sector, which I think, um, you know, the the kind of talent space, in my opinion, is always a good barometer of the market in general. And then as things start to mature, right, you know, as soon as we start to see a trend that actually now we're getting a lot more engagement from legal firms who are starting to look to build these capabilities and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, that's a good sign. Obviously, most businesses that are, investing in this stuff um, as you very rightly said you know that they're doing it often it's a commercial play right they're they're a business that makes money they want to make themselves a bet you know they want to be a better business in what they do to hopefully make more money reduce cost whatever the case may be but it normally comes back to some kind of monetary gain or advantage Um, but I guess the legal sector similar to a few other sectors but also quite different is that they probably have the opportunity to look in two different directions, right? You know, it's kind of getting their own house in order, so to speak, and becoming a better business process and efficiency-wise, et cetera, but then also being able to potentially support their clients, right? Almost like in a consulting capacity. I've heard that mentioned quite a lot by law firms, you know, that have got that kind of big idea and, and agenda. Um, do, do you see that happening quite a bit across the law firms that you work with?
2: I'm starting to see it in a few because they, they already have... You know, the the te- quite a few of them already have the teams that are advising on very specific regulatory issues. You know the GDPR guidance or the you know the dawn raid guidance. Or you know, they're looking at how they support teams. They're starting to look beyond that. They're always looking for, as all firms do, you look for that value add. What else can we do? And starting to build that bigger wrapper around. It's not just the regulation. It is around your operating processes. A few of the law firms are building their own consultancy capabilities and are looking yep. to try and put data, data management, um, squarely in that consultancy space. I don't think any of them are quite there yet, but there's certainly that aspiration a, across a few. And we, we have our conversations around, you know, how, how much of, of what you help us do will also help us build what we want to give to clients. Um, so that's kind of a, an interesting space to be in, but uh, we'll see how that develops.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, obviously the the whole technology and tooling space is very interesting across the kind of data management and data and governance world because we've had a lot more businesses now you know specifically design and build products just for that leg of the journey which you know is uh, relatively new in comparison to the mass amounts of you know data science tools or whatever the case may be out there um how, how is that impacting the legal sector more more broadly in terms of the tooling around data governance
2: So there's kind of two approaches in the legal sector. One approach is um, we're going to go straight in with it. We've never had data governance before. We're going to buy a technology and we're just going to get on with it. Um, And we're going to use the technology to drive our new processes. Um, And there are a few firms, half dozen firms that have taken that approach. Most firms aren't starting to look at tooling until they're four or five years into their data governance journey. Um, and most of them are just because uh, we take that kind of bottom-up approach of going, if I've got a list, SharePoint list, Excel, whatever you do, I've got a list of my master data. I've got a list of my business glossary terms and definitions. I've got a list of my reference data, and I've got a list of my owners and stewards. I know who to talk to. I know where the, the, the critical data is. and I've also got an issues log somewhere in whatever you know, workflow or ticketing tooling the firm already has, that covers us. That's all we need to start with. And it's only once you get beyond those baby steps, conversations, that you, you start to work in tooling. Again, I'm not a technologist, so I do this without tools. It's, you know, back of a napkin, into <laughs> Excel, onto SharePoint, you know, whatever that might be. And if you want a technology, great, go for it. But the first question of technology is, Technology implementation is going to say to you is what are your rules, what are your standards, what are your processes, who are your people, what's your data, what are your definitions? So if you haven't done that legwork, you're still going to have to do that legwork anyway to adopt Mm. technology. And then that technology, of course, will let you, you know, accelerate and grow and do look at a lot more of the firm's data. But broadly, for most firms, and I, I suspect I'm not going to get much love for saying this, there are probably a thousand data points. That they really care about and really want to govern, and those are the ones that really are operationally important hmm. to them. It's not—it's not a massive data set, and there'll be more data out there, of course, and you know, dashboards and reporting for internal purposes. But really, for being transformational about cross-functional working and supporting clients, probably about a thousand data points.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. I guess first question that sprung to my mind then is how do you help? Organisations in questions identify what those um, questions are, because that that's often part of the problem. Right? They're kind of like this we've got all this data, there must be some value in here somewhere. They kind of dive in looking for where that value could be, as opposed to trying to tie it to a specific business purpose or strategic goal or whatever the case may be. And and often the, the challenge is identifying actually what you're trying to achieve. That should then tell you what the questions are that you need to be asking and, and identifies that data set. But how do, how do you kind of you know bring all of that together?
2: Again, it's that that bottom up. When you go down into the really junior layers – They're the people that get these gnarly emails from partners late o'clock at night going, I've had a a funky thought that we could do X with data, can we? And these people can say yes or no. Yes, we capture that. No, we don't. Oh, that's already in one of your dashboards. And when you capture all of that tacit knowledge that they've got in their heads and start writing it down, you suddenly find you're most of the way to your 1,000 data points, you're most of your way to your use cases, (laughs) and you're probably most of the way to your definitions. And that's why I like to go kind of bottom up because there's very few, there's very few new com- conversations and there's very few new questions. so if one partner asks it or one person asks it somebody's probably asked it before so you, and again teams aren't big you know even the biggest law firms in the world are 10,000 people we're not talking massive organizations you can always find the one person in each team that knows everything and mm-hmm. a lot of data governance is just getting out of their head and their inbox what's helpful to everybody else
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When, when's the right time then to kind of start thinking about things beyond data governance, you know, because we, we've all heard the phrases, you know, don't boil the ocean and all of that type of stuff. And I guess the whole data and analytics um, movement is, is designed really to be kind of, you know, innovating and trying to transform how businesses operate to, for them to become better at what they do, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you get that balance right between Building the foundations, making sure you know you're not kind of uh, trying to build on quicksand, but then also you know not boiling the ocean and missing opportunities. Well, you know, when's the when's when's the deadline? It's
2: interesting. Well, I guess the kind of the analytics journey starts for a lot of firms, starts in parallel. It's not unusual for a data governance capability to be part of a business intelligence team or spun up alongside a business intelligence team. Because um, again, there's quite a lot. Of, it's, reporting even is siloed, and normally the basic start is. Can, instead of six teams sending a spreadsheet to a partner on a Friday, can we do them one dashboard mm. You know can can we just uh, figure out how we can present things more simply, more easily, make it better for partners to to just understand the lawyers that they're managing, the work they've got on their plate, their clients. Rather than this, because there are still a lot of spreadsheets that go on in, in law firms and there's a lot of spreadsheets by email and there's still an awful lot of printed reports that partners will scribble questions on and have their secretaries, they say fax, they mean scan an email uh, <laughs> back to people. They're still, you know, they're, genuinely, it's, it's not, a, you know, it's getting better, but it's not a, a massively technical environment. And obviously it's a spectrum. Some are more than technical than others. So you kind of do it in parallel. And then there's a jumping off point where you're hearing client demands. Clients want dashboards. Clients want live um, work in progress reports. They want to know how much is on the clock. How can we deliver that to them? And so these client demands start to to grow that. And then that's when the interesting conversations come about. Well, if we're doing that, could we also do this? And that then just adds to your, your critical data, master data, golden records, whatever you want to call it, list. You add your owners, you add your stewards. And you you start building your data governance capability that way, always to support whatever they're trying to deliver at the other end. I think the interesting thing for me about data governance capabilities is we we kind of tend to focus on the people who capture and manage the data. And when I build a stewardship community, I quite like to make sure that there are reporting people in that forum. So there's specific stewards for reports, for the data warehouses, whatever that might be. Um, and again, the the story we tell around that is, is around the Silk Road story, where you've got Persia sitting in the middle of the Chinese silk producers who didn't know if the Europeans liked what they were sending through and the Europeans buying the silk, quite liking it, but not knowing how to give feedback on the colour or the pattern or whatever. And, and Persia very cleverly sitting in the middle, connecting the two and making a lot of money in the process, but connecting the two stories. So a, a stewardship group, whatever you call it, should include both sides of the journey and be that Persia so you can get that communication going. Because whatever they need for a dashboard, you need to make sure you're governing. And whatever you're governing has to have a purpose. You need to know that it's going in, a, in the right report or whatever you think. So if you've got that group together, it's easier to have that conversation happen. And then for, for that to naturally spark those, oh, we've had a request for this. Do we have conversations? And to, and to mature it quite quickly.
0: Mm, yeah, interesting. I guess in terms of back to team structures and, you know, um, identifying champions within the organization and 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 so on and so forth, What what's the kind of optimal, in your opinion, in terms of, you know, how you go about building that capability internally and, you know, where they should sit across the business and bringing all of that together?
2: I think that the capability, as long as it sit, doesn't sit in IT, it seems to work. So law firms, it sits in all kinds of different places. So I've seen data governance capabilities sitting in BI teams, in knowledge management teams. Um, I've seen them in the risk and compliance teams, uh, in the records management teams, just all over the shop, really. I have seen them in IT teams, but they tend to not work because they then get sucked down the IT process, IT management focus on the technology rabbit hole, just because that's the line management structure. Um, So broadly, anywhere that isn't, IT seems to work for a law firm, which is a terrible thing to say. But it does. It's more around whoever at the top is at the top of that tree understands why it's important and can champion it credibly to the rest of the firm. So if that's the head of BI, great. If it's the head of KM, fine. It's just about them being that credible leader for that organization. And that's again about why that the language matters. In some firms, it makes sense to put it in a BI team in other firms that would cause it to fall flat. It's got to be sensitive to the the organisational structure.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you see a point in time, and I'm sure there's probably some law firms out there that have already started on this journey, but where they, they become their own kind of centralised capability that you know then spans the entire organisation as opposed to sitting through a certain reporting line?
2: There's a couple of firms starting to talk about the CDO role. So taking what they normally have a role that's a, they either called a head of data governance or data governance lead or data governance senior manager or a data coordinator, you know, whatever that, you know, again, individual labels. But that kind of senior person pulling it out up into a, a CDO space. I don't, I'm not aware of anyone who's done that yet, but I am hearing conversations around pushing that role up into the, the C-suite in the law firm.
0: Interesting, and and I guess in terms of the appetite, then and conscious of, of time, CJ as well. But um, I guess in terms of the appetite, do you find that these are? Is it more often led by client demand, their clients asking them questions about their data or whatever you know the the stuff that they're working on them with, or or is it often more internally led by them wanting to be you know a better business within themselves.
2: It's a mix. Across, across our client base, there's, you know, we've got clients who who are looking for operational efficiencies and some of it has come out of uh, process mapping and, and kind of nearshoring uh, activities that have led them to focus on the data that's needed for that and realizing they've got a gap. Some, like, as you say, are looking at the client side. More often than not, it's a mixture of both. Um, there's, there's the equal pressures. And again, it's back to that trouser leg that the, the legal side are looking at the client drivers and then the the other the business services and functional leg are looking at the operational efficiency side so it's about Mm. getting the the right balance and again it's down to the the stakeholder and the pace of change as to how much of each um you focus on
0: yeah absolutely well look if there's anyone out there listening to this um obviously within the legal sector thinking about how their business can use data to drive better performance for them to become a better business, whatever the case may be. What kind of advice would you give just top level very quickly?
2: Top level advice. Make sure you've got your green Lego mat in place, uh, foundations. Talk to the most junior people you can find about data because they'll tell you what's really hurting you. Um, And don't try and do data science without being really confident in the quality of your data. Because if you don't trust it on the report that comes into your inbox, you're not going to get a better answer uh, through a bunch of data science activity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Well, CJ, look, um, an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for uh, giving up your time this morning. And um, yeah, we'll uh, look forward to staying in touch.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me thanks for listening and i'll be back next week